The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Welcome, everyone. Tonight I wanted to talk about heartfelt practice. And this is something that's, um, I don't know, maybe been most interesting to me in the last few weeks. I just finished, I just completed a, an eight-day silent uh, retreat at Spirit Rock on Sunday. And I'm going to talk about that tonight. Uh, in this practice, uh, here at IMC, where we teach mindfulness practice, sometimes called vipassana practice, the the very basic instructions are pretty simple. They all fit on one piece of paper. And in fact, I wonder how many of you have taken the the one hour introduction to mindfulness meditation here, like either on a, a Thursday or a Monday. Okay, so at least some of you know that it can be synopsized in a pretty um, brief um, number of words. And then in addition to that, we also offer a like five or six week course in which how, where there's a lot more explanation of, a detailed explanation of how to work with the breath um, how to work with bodily sensations, what to pay attention to, how to note them, how to work with emotions. There's this RAIN technique that was sometimes taught. Um, RAIN is an acronym for um, recognizing, accepting, investigating, and naming. So you can go into a great... Um, a deeper level of of um, investigation of of emotions using that technique, and then of course there's also a lot of explanation about how do you work with thoughts. You know all of the the thoughts that sometimes run rampant in our minds, and so I've I've listened to a lot of Dharma talks. I've listened to a lot of meditation instruction. I've given a lot of meditation instruction. And all of these instructions are helpful in their time. You know, there's some particular way that, the, that your, your meditation practice may be going where it's very helpful to, to use, for example, the RAIN technique for working with emotions. One of the potential pitfalls of being given so much instruction about how to pay attention to the present moment is that there's times when you can just get lost in all the instruction and really start um, kind of getting caught up in paying attention to what's going on or trying to be present for what's going on kind of from the head, you know, leading from the head, you know. And, and I found myself doing that at the beginning of this uh, eight-day retreat that that I would be really 
trying to focus and concentrate on particular bodily sensations that were coming up. And I realized it was almost like sometimes when you see something in the distance and you want to, you, you want to try to really focus in on it, sometimes you might squint your eyes. Well, I felt like I was sort of squinting my mind, you know, kind of like contracting and trying to see very clearly what the physical sensation was like, you know, kind of paying attention to its characteristics and that. And after about a day, I was exhausted. I mean, I just was... Um, what I found was by paying attention to the present moment in a kind of a head-felt way that um, the, the muscles in my scalp and my eyes were sort of um, tense. I could feel the blood pulsing in my head. I mean, in, in sort of a not exactly rhythmic or pleasant way, but sort of like a sloshing around of the brain. And it was not good. I mean, I just, I found that I couldn't, I couldn't really stay interested in that. And I felt pretty discouraged. I mean, here I was, I, I've been practicing, well, it'll be 13 years this month, and still, at the, on, on the very first day of an eight-day retreat, I was discouraged and tired. And really asking myself, what am I going to do for the next seven days? You know, I mean, how am I going to deal with this? <coughs> so, at the beginning of the second day, they announced that there was going to be, about halfway through the day, there was going to be one period of loving-kindness meditation, which is different than mindfulness. It's, there's a little bit more direction to it, a little bit more structure. And that got me thinking that, well, maybe what would be more helpful for me would, to, would be rather than trying to pay attention to what was going on in a kind of a cognitive or mind-based way would be to bring the awareness from the head and from the eyes down to the chest, to the heart center. And I wasn't quite sure how this was going to work or what, what it would actually mean to try to know one's experience from the heart rather than from the head. There's often, there's a Pali word, citta, meaning mind. And in some of the teachings that I've heard, there's no distinction made between the heart and the mind. They're considered one. Now, I don't quite understand that teaching. I mean, there's part of me that can kind of notice when the head seems to be in charge and times when it seems like the heart is more predominant. And so even before, so in, the, in, in about midday on the second day, I decided, first of all, to start doing a loving-kindness practice. And what one does in that practice is try to bring to mind, try to imagine somebody that's, 
that it's easy to wish well for, to have feelings of goodwill towards. Sometimes it might be yourself, or sometimes it might be a benefactor, a teacher, somebody that's um, helped you along. And so I started doing this this loving-kindness practice, first for myself, and then for one of the teachers. We actually had four teachers on this retreat. And one of them, in particular, is a woman who I always feel emanates a kind of a motherly love, like, a, like a, an unconditional love and acceptance and um, support. And so here I was, and it wasn't very hard then to imagine sending the, this sense of well-wishing to her because she was right there in front of me. And some of the other things that I did then to, to, to move from having, having a kind of head-felt presence uh, practice to a heart-felt was to see if I could make myself a little bit more comfortable. And so I'd put on a, a wool blanket that really helped keep my body warm so that the, the muscles could kind of stay relaxed. You know, there, there's a way in which, you know, kind of having a nice warm body can just make um, some of the, make, make you less likely to get tense. And I drank warm water during the breaks, um, had some aspirin, and allowed myself to move a little bit rather than trying to sit perfectly still for 45 minutes to, to you know, just kind of move a little bit and s- stretch, not in some exaggerated way, but just to, to um, be more comfortable in my body. And what I found on, uh, by the end of that first day was that the tightness in my head mm, diminished. And instead what I found was a warmth in the heart and a way that I could connect with the breath as it would pass through the heart center, both as it came in and as it went out, that... just felt right. And so by moving to the heart center, moving the awareness to the heart center, first of all, it made it, it, made it possible for a, com- a more compassionate connection with everything that was happening as I sat there. So I, I was able to be more compassionate with the aches and pains you know, on the second day of a, of a long retreat, the body's often kind of not used to sitting all day. You know, I mean, it's sitting in a, in a meditation posture. So there was that part to it. 
of being able to have a more compassionate uh, connection with experience. The other thing that I recognized on that day was when I sat and tried to pay attention to my breath and watch from the head. And mostly what came up was unpleasant physical sensation. And what I recognized was I really didn't care about that. I didn't really care about all of these unpleasant physical sensations that were going on. Um, I wanted to just get up and leave the room and do something more fun. And so, of course, that's not the instruction that is normally given on (laughs) how to work with unpleasant physical sensation, (laughs) that is to run away from it. Um, But I also found that it didn't seem very useful to just sit and try to bear it to just kind of like, okay, I'm just, I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to sit with this. But instead I shifted to more of a reflection practice to really start. So as my awareness sunk from the head to the heart, I also started hanging out with this question of what is it that I care about? What, What's, what matters to me? And in some ways trying to keep it immediate, so not kind of like what do I care about out in the world, but more what do I care about right now? What, what, what does, what's my heart's deepest intention? And It's not like I was looking for an answer to that question, but it, it helped me tune in more to the heart, to tune into that sense of, um, of caring. What, what could I, what, what is it that the heart wants? Let's see. Oh yeah, and then on the end of so by the end of the second day there was a, a talk about the the difference between rejecting one's experience and accepting it. And that was clearly what had been going on for me. Like I just was I had been in, in maybe subtle and not so subtle ways pushing away the experience that I didn't want to be experiencing. And at the end of the second day, I was being instructed rather than the rather than rejecting, could I accept what was going on and the the um, description was rejection often comes when we 're in this fight or flight mode, you know when we either have to fight with what 's going on or escape it. And that, in that mode, um, 
It's often, things are often pretty tense and painful. Whereas in the acceptance mode, the description was to, or the instruction was to approach and smooth and soothe. So how does one approach and soothe unpleasant, unwanted experience? And I found that, again, by, by kind of staying with the heart, that I could bring more of a, a caring and a um, approaching to the physical pain that I was experiencing. And I also recognized that after that second day, that doing this practice, to, to really do it, to really be able to um, be as fully present as possible for what goes on, requires courage. And the word courage comes from the word heart. I guess in, I don't know if it's Latin or French, but French, le, you know, le care is the heart. And so there's a um, heartfelt, or maybe kind of a, a strength of heart required to be able to be with things as they are. And as I contemplated this quality of courage. Um, I started having remembrances of times many years ago when I had been married. Uh, I was married for about 10 years. About the times when I hadn't been, I didn't express courage. There were times when there was conflict and times when there were challenge that rather than stepping forward and opening to that challenge, I had withdrawn. I had kind of distanced myself, pulled away. Some of those times had been pointed out to me later, and others hadn't. But for some reason, the memories of those times really became um, strong during this retreat. And I recognize that that in those moments and at that time, there was a strong desire to protect the heart and also protect the ego and not not um, not wanting to be hurt. And so that led me to doing some periods of forgiveness practice, you know, forgiving myself for not having um, displayed the courage to, to fully engage um, at times when that may have led to a, a deeper connection rather than a disconnection. 
Yeah. And yeah, so there were so as I said, there were sort of three elements to this experience of, of heartfelt practice. There was the um, the compassionate connection with what was going on. There was the um, let's see, now I'm, I'm blanking. Oh yeah, there was the recognition of caring, you know, of really letting my attention go to what I cared most about, letting the heart kind of direct me towards what I cared most about. And there was also the um, recognition that at at those moments, or during this retreat, that there was a certain courage coming forward to be with the mm, not only the physical sensations that were unwanted, but the self-judgments that were coming up. And after that, and so being in that state then led to the second half of the retreat, which I won't talk about tonight. There were certain things that made this possible for me. One was just how safe the environment was that I happened to be in. I was at Spirit Rock, which is a beautiful retreat center uh, set in in nature, a a place I've sat many times over the last uh, 12 years. So the physical environment just felt like it held me. Second, there were the teachers and the managers who were all people that I knew and trusted and felt kind of a visceral support from, that that I knew that there was a love and caring so that so whatever triggers one to protect the heart, that those could relax. You know, those defense mechanisms could relax. Um, I was surrounded by yogis, some, many of whom I knew, some from IMC, some from other places. And I felt supported by them by the Sangha that was there. And there was also a deepening trust in myself. There was a deepening trust that even though I wasn't following the instructions that were given, that I wasn't, that what was coming to me in terms of what I ought to be doing, in terms of paying attention, um, was not some distraction, that it really was pointing me in the right direction. And so, with that sense of safety that came 
both from my external environment and from the internal practice, it made it, there, there was um, a heightened sense of trust, uh, a heightened sense of relaxation, both physical relaxation, but also kind of emotional and psychological relaxation that I didn't have, I didn't have to defend myself. I didn't have to defend my ego. I didn't have to defend my heart. I could let it open. And that really had a a profound effect on the rest of the retreat for me. I ended up, I ended up still kind of dropping the metta practice, the the formal loving-kindness practice, and going back to mindfulness. But going back to mindfulness coming from a different place. So instead of sort of doing mindfulness from the head, there was more of a doing a mindfulness from the heart. And I ended up being able to see um, qualities of awareness that I hadn't seen before. And I attribute that to, to um, a greater sense of caring and connection and willingness to open that came from doing this heartfelt practice. So uh, that's all I have to say about that. So I'd like, so I, we have a lot of time for questions and comments and um, experiences that you might want to share. But before we do that, I'd like us to do a, a, another short session of meditation. So I'd like you to, to take a posture, a meditation <laughs> posture, one that um, feels alert and upright and also has a certain um, relaxed quality to it and then gently close your eyes and then start by taking some deeper breaths and as you breathe in imagine the breath moving through the heart center maybe coming in through the chest or in through the back or down through the throat but letting that the breath as it moves in touch and activate the heart and then as the breath goes out again breathing out through the heart center And after a few breaths, see if you can just go back to your your natural breath rhythm. But keeping the awareness with what's happening in the heart region of the heart. 
you might feel some warmth. You might feel some tingling. Or you might not. It's not necessary to make it any particular way. letting your awareness rest with the heart. I'll ring the bell. So I'm curious to know what that was like for you. Did it spark anything? Did it leave any questions? Does it seem like a familiar mode of being for you? Does it seem unfamiliar? It definitely feels familiar. What I find that is it helped me get out of my head. That by bringing mm. my energy down, it, it was very calming. Mm-hmm. And um, and some of the anxiety that I tend to to have trouble with, could, you know, it just sort of made it easier to just breathe. And so it was it was very like, ah. Oh. Mm-hmm. So that was very nice. Thank you. Good. Well, thank you for saying that. <laughs> yeah, my understanding is that there's actually a way in which if you breathe in a way where the out-breath is kind of long and deep, there's actually some chemicals released in the brain. I think it's oxytocin that helps bring a sense of um, well-being, makes it easier to um, kind of approach and smooth, uh, approach and soothe. Uh, thank you for that. Um, I uh, I just finished reading a book uh, called Welcoming Consciousness, and um, they actually uh, had in there a uh, 
a, a, a study that done at a university. I forgot which one it was, but uh, it was basically they found out that the, how the heart um, it actually somewhat acts independently of the brain, and um, how the the strongest electromagnetic field in the body actually comes from the heart. And uh, for if if you walk by someone and you'll actually notice how you know you'll you'll feel much more calm, and you're like you know what is that? I I didn't even know that person, but all of a sudden I I feel this bliss, and you know what was that? And uh, some people they're actually able to you know have like a more radiance of that mm. than than others. You know, it, for for others you know who aren't able to experience it much, you know it it, it could be due to, uh, you know, maybe kind of unresolved things that they haven't fully taken care of. And uh, there's actually an audio CD by, um, by Ken Wilbur, and mm-hmm. uh, it's called uh, One, Two, Three of God. I don't know if anyone's heard of that. But uh, it, he basically talks about how during meditation or before meditation, uh, you know, if, if you have any unresolved issues, it, you know, it could be with anyone, you know, or anything. It could be yesterday, 10 years, whatever, how long it is. And, you know, basically imagine them sitting uh, down on a chair and asking them uh, what they feel like. And after you imagine that, you, you switch places and you sit down, imagine them asking you what it feels like. Mm-hmm. And uh, after that, you know, you could either hug it out or whatever, but... You know, it, it's uh, basically after that, you know, it kind of like uh, takes away that, that uh, you know, unresolved issue you have in your mind. And, you know, lets you uh, untie this knot that's stopping you from, you know, fully uh, experiencing that, whether you call it the heart chakra or whatever it be. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I, I thought that that could help. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you. appreciate it. Yeah, I did. I did notice. After, I, one of the times when I was doing metta practice was during the meals, and so I would sit at a table facing the area where the like all the yogis had to pass by there to um, do their dishes, and so as each one went by, I would say a phrase to them, and after the retreat. Somebody said, yeah, I noticed every time I was doing the dishes, it was just so, so wonderful. So it's interesting to know that somebody's doing science, scientific research on that. I've often wondered, is, like, is anybody out there when I'm, you know, like, as you're doing this, meta, this meta, you know, it's kind of like, well, it feels great. I wonder if it's being received. So thanks. But I just want to say, just because everybody doesn't say anything, I have a little culture. Doesn't mean we're not listening. Good. Well, this is also an and and thank you for that. And this is an, also an opportunity. I mean, I think part of heartfulness practice is the sense of sharing with others. Um, 
I, I know when I first came to this practice, I really, my motivation was really, I'm going to do this practice to solve my suffering. You know, it was very much oriented towards working with what I thought was my personal suffering. And I think that the, I mean, I think there's some value to that. There can be some motivation to that. But then also recognize that that just as we suffer, everyone else, I, I believe, unless there's an arhat in the room, um, that we all suffer in similar ways. And so kind of recognizing that in others can make it um, make the suffering that we see not feel so personal and makes it easier to to be with and connect with. Yes? Um, when I, I was thinking when you were sharing kind of about your story, but I was thinking about some fears I have, immediate fears, like where I'm going to, some things going on tomorrow. But, um, but uh, I just... You know, when you shared, I I just had a lot of compassion that you would share that, and that was very honest. But when we did the breath, um, when we took the breath in, and I focused more on my heart than, you know, my nose or my belly, um, I felt an expansion, like a radiation more with each breath coming in of love and kind of love and peace, and that fear went away momentarily. And I have felt that you were asking if we felt that before, and it's familiar and it is, but not often, hmm. you know, <laughs> that like someone said back there also moving from my head or the anat- you know, anatomical nose or my belly that I just picture just, you know, kind of the breath going in and then more of a feeling of wellness and love and emotion expanding. So it was something that uh, I'll take with me tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. I can't remember if I said it during the talk, but one of the sort of insights that I had during this retreat was not only did I have a certain, at that moment, have a certain compassion, uh, a certain capacity for connection and for caring and for courage, but I also recognized that those are things that we can develop and cultivate. So it's not like we're, it's not like we have, we were born with a certain amount of it and that's all there is. That kind of with intentional practice the um, the ability to have that those moments of love and warmth and expansion can be um, increased so I'd like to encourage you um, thank you for your talk and also for sharing a personal part of your experience I um, found myself thinking about um, my work today and um, working with a woman who's actually very ill and is so closed off um, that as you were just talking, I was thinking how my heart really wanted to meet her heart and the pain that I felt um, and the frustration in sort of the opposite of what you were just talking about, about 
my heart sort of wanting to to help her heart or to to reach her somehow to shift something inside of her and um, and the pain when when that other person is defended or closed off and just was curious to know more about that experience and and how to manage that great I hope you have more chance to do that exploration um, there is another part of of the um, loving kindness practice or Brahma Vihara practice called equanimity practice in which there's also a recognition that you know we do our part and that other people are we're all kind of living out what our past conditioning is our past actions and so while we can wish well for others we can wish others to be happy and healthy safe and peaceful that in a way each of us has to do each of us has to work with our our own conditions and our own experience and make our own choices and that we can't that part of the practices there might be times when we can help and there's other times when we can't fix it and just we can just be pre- just be present In your talk, you were, you, used to, you were talking about courage, and then not long ago, you, were, you used the word encourage. Was that on purpose? Because <laughs> that made me start thinking about courage and the French word for heart, cur. Mm-hmm. Um, and then encourage often is um, it's one person giving to another kind of love and support or wisdom. And so it's just interesting that that there is that word and encourage and what it means mm-hmm. with uh, between people. Well, I didn't use it consciously. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give credit to some deep inner wisdom. <laughs> there's nothing else why don't we sit for just another couple of minutes to end the evening and again I'll encourage you to See if you can follow the breath as it enters and leaves through the heart center. And then we'll end with 
some reflection practice. So as you sit and pay attention to the heart center, see if you can ask it. What do you care about? What's your deepest wish? What's most precious? What is the deepest intention of the heart? Thank you all. May you all be safe. May you all be happy. May you all be healthy. And may you all be peaceful. <laughs>